following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. in a small Texas town and they really enjoyed growing up together and playing and they went off to college together and deepened their friendship as they grew into manhood, very successful at college. Independent of each other, they decided they were going off to graduate school. Two of them decided to go to a very large university in in California and two of them decided to stay here in Texas to go to seminary. And of course, during your graduate years is when you start to develop a lot of your convictions and thoughts and and uh, values in life, and they were very successful in graduate school, got together again after that successful venture in their small town of Texas to celebrate their their landmark in life and decided to go to uh, the big city by train and take in a a show just so they can continue celebrating this uh, very special time in their lives. Well, of course, as guys are guys, they were a little bit late getting to the train station, and when they finally got there, they were they realized they didn't have a whole lot of time, and the two engineers, being engineers, decided they better get there fast. So they ran to the ticket uh, booth and bought their two tickets and ran to the passenger train, uh, tried, to getting, tried to getting on and making sure that they had uh, space for all four of the guys to enjoy a journey into the big city. Well, the two seminary guys, they, they were just kind of relaxing and taking the time and solving the problems of the world and went to the ticket counter and eventually made their way over to the passenger train just as the train was pulling away. They found their two engineer buddies had saved them seats, so they sat down, and the engineer guys were just razzing their seminary friends and saying, you guys are so busy solving the problems of the world, you almost missed the train. In fact, you not only only missed the train when you got to the ticket counter, we could see you guys only bought one ticket. I, I mean, how goofy could you guys get? And they were just razzing them like guys do, and they razzed them and razzed them until one of the seminary guys says, hey, conductor's coming. And the two uh, engineer guys were startled, and then... Right at that moment, of course, uh, they were even more surprised when their two seminarian friends jumped up out of their seat, jumped across the aisle, and both of them crammed into one of those small bathrooms, shut the door and turned the signal that said, occupied. The conductor came up to the two engineers and said, tickets, please. And the two engineer students uh, obviously said, okay, and they each handed them the ticket. The conductor punched those tickets, and uh, after he punched those tickets, um, the... uh, the engineer turned and uh, conductor turned and he realized that there was someone in the bathroom. So he knocked on the door and says, ticket, please. And out from the bottom of the door slipped one ticket. And the conductor picked up the ticket and clipped it and put it back under and says, thank you. And he went on to the next car. After a few uh, few special moments and, of course, uh, waiting appropriately, the two, two seminarians came out of the bathroom, sat down with a big grin on their faces. And the two engineer students looked at each other, looked at the two seminary friends and could not believe what they just witnessed. Well, they got to the big city, and they had a great time enjoying dinner, enjoying the show. And of course, again, they were late getting to the train station. The two engineers ran to the ticket counter and very much laughing and chuckling. They were saying to each other with whispers that were only loud enough for them to hear. And they, they ran to the, the passenger car and sat down. And, and as their two seminary friends who were now still, again, taking their time conversing and solving the problems of the world sat down, the two engineers were smiling and laughing you guys are still busy solving the problems of the world. And we're here, we're late, and you're so busy talking, you forgot even to stop by the booth to even buy a ticket. 
And they were laughing and razzing them. And, and finally, one of the seminary students jumped up and said, Conductor's coming! And right at that moment, of course, the two engineer guys, uh, they jumped up from their seats. They ran into the bathroom, crammed into it, and slammed the door and turned the knob. And after a couple of moments, the two seminary guys smiled at each other. One of them walked over to the door of the bathroom and just went, Ticket, please! Now, I don't know what kind of week you have, but sometimes uh, the circumstances that we're in don't always appear as they should. And not everything is as it ought to be, just because of what we see. Sometimes there is an eye over the circumstances way beyond our capacity to see what the possibilities might be. And wouldn't it be amazing to always be a step ahead of the game? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just sort of sense where we are headed with this whole business so that our doubts and our hesitations and our so-called personal common sense wouldn't get in the way of a life of faith where we realize Almighty God has really got this under control. And if I could just see what he sees, if I could just know what he knows or somehow make a connection where my life is no longer just dependent upon my reaction, but if I can just get to know him, if I don't have that capacity to see in the future, but he does, not only seeing the future, but controlling the future, not just controlling the future, but dictating what the future is going to be. Maybe if I could be tight with God and always know when I can read his signals, life will go a lot better than what we can possibly imagine for ourselves. Well, we bring ourselves to this amazing story in Joshua chapter 6 as the nation of Israel is going miracle after miracle and overwhelming sense of God's presence among them through the leadership. God doesn't speak to the entire nation. He doesn't give attention to every one of the people of the two and a half million. To a certain degree, he blesses them for sure. But in a huge way, he leads them through a leader. And as he leads them through a leader, it's the leader that has this tight relationship with Almighty God. But the people have looked away from him for a moment because they see a formidable task. For them to take the promised land where people there are used to battling, they have to overcome the Canaanites who live in this great country. And from a military standpoint, they choose a really fascinating tactic. They're going to strike in the middle, take on the most formidable foe, divide the nation in half, take on the south after that, and then take on to the north. Reduce the possibility of these people ever coming together. Sounds like a great strategy, but there are a lot of ifs, ands, and what happens if scenarios that people probably would be considering, and maybe in the hesitation of paralysis analysis, fall into a situation where they can't get out of a predicament that they find themselves in. And yet God's strategy for Joshua is to, for him to listen very carefully to God's plan, and God could do anything. But God's plan for Joshua is absolutely amazing. And when he gives instructions to Joshua... It sounds like a crazy plan. So we have this very weird plan that uh, God is going to be giving to Joshua, and God wants Joshua to listen. And the Lord speaks very clearly to Joshua, to him and to him alone, I have delivered uh, Jericho into your hands. A very specific promise and a statement of the conclusion. How we get to that conclusion, Joshua, don't forget to listen to this. This will happen. This result, this conclusion will be guaranteed if you remember how I want you to get it done. God is as interested in the process as he is interested in us understanding the final conclusion. 
No doubt among all of us who are here, there are objectives as we think about when we get to the office in a very short period of time of things we'd like to see done. We'd like to get there. How in the world we get there is a big challenge, and that's where the mystery lies. How in the world can we listen to God well enough to the point where we hear his unmistakable guidance in the process so that the conclusion or the results will be realized and enjoyed. The scripture tells us that God tells Joshua, this is what I want you to do. I want you to march around the city of Jericho, and I want you to march around it one time, six days in a row. And once you accomplish that on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And when you do this journey and follow these instructions, I want you and all the people to do so in total silence. Except for the trumpets that play, I want all the people, your fighting men who march around and do this very interesting task, to be quiet. How in the world to get a bunch of men going into battle, facing off of the enemy, to be quiet? So Joshua is not arguing, he's not questioning, he's not asking for details, he's not presenting scenarios, he's just listening to Almighty God. When I look at a particular situation like this, one of the most amazing things is when we hear God speak to us through a relationship that is pre-existing to the great challenges that face our lives. It is a great clue in how we as men should live. A pre-existing intimate relationship so that when God speaks, I do not challenge, I do not question, I just simply be quiet and I listen. But somewhere in silence is the secret of an amazing trust that we give to Almighty God, a confidence that overcomes the hesitations that we as human beings normally would have. If we know what we know, and God knows what he knows, and our confidence is in him, we do not battle against it with all of our objections. There are a lot of things that we men share in common, and one of them is that most of us as real men, we hate cats. And uh, that's, that's why God really created them on the face of this earth, is so we can have an object to release some of our tensions. Well, this man and his wife were um, enjoying life together, and he loved everything about her, but he hated her cat. And uh, there was an opportunity that was afforded to him when she had to leave on a lengthy journey, and he was supposed to stay home and take care of her cat. So he was looking forward to finally doing something about his hatred. And after his wife had left... He got a burlap bag and a brick, and he put the cat in the bag and tied it up. In the middle of the night, he drove out into the country over a bridge and tossed it over the side of the bridge. And he really enjoyed this respite when his wife was gone and enjoyed the absence of this feline creature. When his wife came home, she asked where the cat was, and he says, Man, honey, I just hate to tell you this, but after you left, that cat was gone, and I haven't seen it since. And the wife just broke down in a tearful, tearful, horrible, horrible grief. And her husband comforted her and says, oh, sweetheart, I I know you're really broken up about this, but don't worry. We'll find that cat. She says, well, how are we going to find it? It's been gone so long. Well, we'll put out an ad and we'll give a very generous reward. And I'm sure it'll turn up. So he put out this ad and a very generous reward of a, a couple hundred dollars. And uh, nothing happened, of course, and she bawled and cried and said, it's been a week and we haven't heard anything. No problem, money. We're, we're going to have more than double this reward, and we're going to get a response. 
And so he put out the ad again, and there's a $500 reward for this cat, a picture of the cat. And he was out at the gym, and one of his friends said, hey, man, I saw that ad that you put out for your cat. That's a, that's a big reward for a cat. And the guy says, you know, if you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. Now, next time you see a cat, I want you to remember this story. Because if we know the one who does know, who controls all things, we can afford to be confident. And we can afford to be very quiet without any kind of worries. If we know the one who knows and controls all things in the future, we can afford to be confident in what we face today. Now, I I know that when we come in here, we're all pretty much smiling and stuff, but I don't know about you, but I've had a rough couple weeks, and um, I I don't like being yelled at. I don't like someone coming and getting into my nose and looking at me face-to-face and with a, a fire and an anger that human beings probably should not be experiencing within the body of Christ, but that was my last couple of weeks. And when I when I face that kind of, of, of anger, and, I, and I, I just say what's common, I said, you seem angry. And when they come back and fire back with spittle and fire and, and uh, emotion and say it's righteous indignation, of course, the only way I can humor myself through that is I'm thinking, well, you're half right. I'd say self-righteous, but, uh, you know, at least you're half right. You can't say that in the situation, of course. You just don't want to inflame the situation. But there is a sense where I don't like that kind of interaction with human beings within the body of Christ. It just seems to me very foreign to what the Bible seems to communicate and what it is all about as redeemed people trying to live a righteous kind of life. But it wasn't a reaction to this person, which is a very easy temptation. The lack of logic, the inaccuracies with regard to factual information, the, the poor way in which a person could use logical fallacy after logical fallacy after logical fallacy to try to establish a position of, of certainty. It'd be easy on a human level to throw all that back, even raise my voice and get angry in return. It'd be easy to do that. That's the temptation. But there's something about knowing the God who knows all things and putting trust in him and saying, God, I got to be quiet before this person and my trust has got to be in you. And in the long range future, where in the world are we headed with all this? And I want you, God, to be glorified through this. There is a pre-existing relationship I had with Almighty God before this encounter. If we don't have that, gentlemen, we're going to be lost when we get into a time of great trauma. But to know the one who knows in advance in a pre-existing relationship so that we can bring that confidence into uncertainty. We look at circumstances or people. That's when we can have confidence to move ahead in silence. Joshua is listening. Whatever this God says to him, that's what he will do. Then God makes his promise. You do it this way on my schedule. And this wall that stands before you as a formidable obstacle, it will collapse before your very eyes. Now, it's one thing for us as individuals to listen to God in our own private time and say, God, this is really weird, but if this is what you want done, then we'll do it. It's another thing to take that same tactic and tell other people that you're responsible for, this is the word from Almighty God. 
and we can listen to God when he tells us something and then we can think about telling other people and other people are going to have those hesitations and we're thinking to ourselves, man, these people are going to really think this is really weird. They're going to really think I'm off the rocker. But with regard to responsibility, we pass on God's word no matter how bizarre it might be. So he explained the plan to the people and he just simply said to them, advance, move out, let's go. The trumpets were sounding and Joshua had to command their people with this most difficult of all tasks. Do not make any noise when you're going around the city. Well, that's the, that's the tactic of all the Seattle Seahawks fans when they go to the Super Bowl. The instructions for them is first half, don't say a thing, don't make any noise. That's going to be their tactic. Well, if anybody tried to do that to the Seattle Seahawks fans, man, your life is not going to last much longer. But can you imagine the adrenaline and the enthusiasm and the desire to enter into battle and to just be very guttural, to make that kind of noise, to make that kind of sound, to be involved with the things that we can say so that other people can hear us. And yet God has given the nation of Israel this specific plan. Just absolutely amazing. Silence is one of the options for us to engage the voice of God and the certainty of our confidence and faith in how God leads us. Not all the time. And God's not always in the bizarre plans. You'll notice that throughout the book of Joshua, oftentimes the military strategy is very obvious, very clear. This is one of those weird times when his faith and the nations of Israel's faith is established through something that's not commonsensical, that is rather on the bizarro side. But has God ever led you to do something that seemed really strange, and yet you felt the confidence and certainty of this is God's direction, and it established your faith for the rest of your life? Sometimes God leads us into strange tactics so that our confidence is in him and not what we do. But we can't accomplish that end or make that discovery unless we've learned this amazing discipline of being quiet before God, even quiet among other people, so that God can make his will and certainty known in my life. So we act according to God's plan. When God says, shout, man, this is what you do. This is when we go for it. And the 12th man in Seattle this last weekend was astounding to me, and all my friends in San Francisco were crying. They were also joining in on the noise, but they were really crying. I've never heard so many of my Christian friends ever get angry with zebras. I like zebras. Zebras are the greatest animal on the face of this earth. It's an amazing creature. But they kept on talking about being robbed. They kept on talking about being cheated. They kept on talking about all these other things. And I remember a time myself when I was an ardent fan of the Dallas Cowboys, you know, God's team. They have a hole in the roof so God could watch his team, that kind of stuff. And I was a subscriber to the Dallas Cowboy Weekly. And, and when Tom Landry was a coach, I, I mean, I was an ardent follower. And I remember that game between the Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. And I remember what they called the catch. I remember that being burned into my mind. And I remember how gracious all those San Francisco 49er fans were. (laughs) I remember how all my relatives rubbed my face into it. For generations, they rubbed my face into it. So this last Sunday, I was feeling kind of good. The cats that never happened, somehow things get a little bit more equal. I've never mentioned it to any of my relatives. 
I'm not a man of revenge, just quiet satisfaction. Here's something very special in this whole process. In the seventh day, these guys went around and they shouted just as God said. Can you imagine what it was like for six days? You march around the city one time with all your fighting men and all the people in Jericho, they're terrified, right? I mean, they've been afraid. That's what that's that's the intel that Rah- uh, Rahab gave to the spies. But then when the nation of Israel went around one time and they went back to the camp, everybody in Jericho was thinking, wow, that was weird. Can you imagine what it was like the second day? All the jeering and the trash talking coming from the walls, shouting at the nation of Israel, are you going to do that again? Yeah, yesterday was really exciting. Yeah, you guys are really brave. Your military prowess is overwhelming. What would it be like for all the trash talking to come from the walls and the nation of Israel to hear all that? But they were under orders to do just one thing, be silent. Second day they go around one time, they go back to camp. Man, that was really weird. Third day they do the same kind of thing. Maybe if we were on the walls of Jericho, maybe our fear would start to dissipate and our courage would start to be reformed and we might be doing some crazy things. It's not just the third day, it's the fourth and the fifth and the sixth. In the beginning of the seventh, we're thinking it's the same old, same old, but the nation of Israel gets to that starting point and they don't turn back to camp, but they keep going. And all the jeering starts to stop. And they go around a third time and the fourth time. And how long did it take for the silence of the nation of Israel to be matched by the silence of the warriors standing on the wall? And then for the quietness to come, maybe the trumpets stopped playing for the first time and Joshua gave the command to shout. For six days, they had nothing but silence, only the sound of a trumpet. Then for silence to break out over the land and suddenly the reverberation of men who've been wanting to shout was all unleashed simultaneously at the same time. It's like the 12th man. When you start to hear the crowds on a football game shout so loudly that it actually impacts and affects the play on the field. It is an overwhelming sense of being part of something that great. And Joshua gives the nation of Israel this tremendous command. Don't forget, this entire city and everything in it is devoted to the Lord. It's like a ban from heaven that all things in this city, all the wealth, all of the lives, young, old men, women, even the young children, they belong to me. Some people will look at this with a great deal of criticism, but that's pre-existing because the values are not about Almighty God. They have no clue about the Canaanite viciousness with regard to their religious heresies and their errors. They will not even consider the possibilities of thinking that these are the people who sacrificed children for false beliefs that weren't even true, but just coming from the imagination of wicked men. They would not think that these people had the opportunity, like Rahab, to put their faith in the one and true and almighty God, but they turn their backs on him and try to depend upon themselves. We don't know all the reasons, but there are enough for us to say, man, if you question God, who are we? But that's only if you have a pre-existing relationship to know this almighty God in his graciousness to all of us. In that devotion, God is trying to test the nation of Israel. Do not take anything for your own desire. When I bless you, I will bless you. But what you do for me, the glory and the, and the, and the honor comes back to me. 
Now, gentlemen, one of the great things that we need to do and we, we, we need to remember is when we trust God for good things in our lives and that blessing and that success comes, the temptation in the midst of experiencing success to take that back for ourselves is absolutely overwhelming. But those who know that the success that has come on the heels of great concern, we realize that this is for God's glory and for his glory alone. Only Rahab is the one who's going to be the one who's going to be saved. She and her faith and the expression of her faith and now blesses her family, absolutely astounding in Scripture. That the faith of one can be a part of the blessing of many. If you think about all of us here as individuals and the lives of people who depend upon us, if our faith in Almighty God is true and powerful and stalwart, we listen, we obey, we persevere. We listen, we obey, we persevere. In our silence, our listening is precise. In our actions, our obedience is according to God's timing. And our perseverance means that what we start, we will finish. Silence as we listen. Obedience as we listen to God's directions. Perseverance as our faith lives through difficult times where the temptation to go off on our own is very strong. God gives us this pattern and asks us to be devoted to him and give him all the glory and honor when everything is done. He tells us here about this obedience is all about precision. It's about the accuracy as the people give this loud shout when God wants them to do it. And they charge straight into the city and take it. It takes a life that's close to God to do things that in the world's eyes are absolutely unacceptable. But in the eyes of God who creates, in the the eyes of God who gives life exclusively, to trust him for our actions, when he gives us that instruction, we better know for sure this is from God. Devote that entire city to the Lord, destroying everything that's there, men, women, young, old, cattle, sheep, donkeys. God is waiting for us to precisely obey his outlandish commands. He is. When I walked home in our home in Portland, Oregon, where my wife was loving life, And I said to her in the kitchen, what would you think about us moving to Scotland so I can go to school? I'll always remember that moment of silence as her eyes went back and forth, up and down, trying to wonder, what on earth has my husband been drinking? And she hesitated and she stumbled over her words. She says, well, honey, if if the Lord is leading you, us, well, if he, you know, I guess so. And I I remember as we have joked about that moment, I never told her this is what we're going to do. I always asked her for her opinion. And for us to go to a foreign country when we hardly had any money in ministry, hardly anything in the savings, to think of what that would require, but the enthusiasm of knowing that I had heard from God in a bizarre way was amazing, both to me and to my wife. And to this day, we still look back upon those times when we just trusted God for his direction and leading in our life. And of course, it would require us selling everything that we could, which we did. Tried to sell our house, which we thought would be great, but it wasn't. Awful time in Oregon where we had been living, and the housing market has just gone into this huge slump. And we kept on dropping the price of the home and dropping the price and dropping the price. 
and we can never sell it. And it came to that moment on the calendar where we said, we can't wait any longer. We've got to do something. We've got to leave. So some of our friends gather around and says, look, why don't you just rent your house, and we'll, we promise we'll take care of it for you. And we'll find a good, good person, to, a family to rent it, and you can just go. Go do your studying. So we thought, well, this is not what we expected, but this is where God wants us to go. So we took off, and our friends rented the place, and in three weeks' time, we went overseas for two years, and when we were coming to the conclusion of our studying, we think, well, where are we going to go now that we're almost done with this thing? So I, I wrote letters to every seminary and sent my resume into all of them and said, this is what I'd love to do, come and teach at your place, and, and this is what we'd love to see happen, and this is who I am, and... I got a rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter after rejection letter. And one of the most amazing things happened during that time of uncertainty. We got a letter from our real estate agent who tried to sell us sell our house two years ago, and he sent a packet, and he says, Bruce, you'll never guess, but the, the market here in, in Portland, Oregon, is, has turned around. It's amazing. It's turned around. I can not only sell your house easily as soon as you give me permission to do it, but I could sell it for more than you ever wanted it yet for it. So I thought, man, this is really cool. So my wife and I said, well, this will be maybe our, our respite until we figure out where God wants us to go. So we filled out all the papers, put it in a pack. It took me about a week to figure out a time in order to do all this. It took us about a week to fill it all out. We put it in a paper and uh, addressed it, and I was going to mail it at the office the next day to sell that house. That night, before the day that I was going to mail this information back and with our signatures on it, to sell our house, we got a phone call from a school in Portland, Oregon, seminary. We had a great conversation, the, the dean and I, and he says, hey, Bruce, I'd love for you to, to prayerfully come back and, and to Portland here and to teach for us. And I says, well, yeah, let me pray about it. Okay, I'll come. <laughs> it's one of those prayers that you pray a real long prayer, like, thank you, God. And yeah, sure, I'll come. And uh, and I hung up and I told my wife, I says, guess what? Multnomah wants us to come back and give me a teaching position. She says, great. How much are they going to pay you? I said, I don't know. I forgot to ask. <laughs> I never knew until we went all the way back to Portland. And when we got there, I, I, we contacted our friends and said, hey, what, what's the situation with our house? They said, well, the renters just moved out last week. That was the end of their lease. So you can have your house back. We heard you coming. And we, we got together with them, and we talked to them. We talked to the real estate agent. And then I found out how much I was getting paid. And the housing market had gone up so high that if we had sold that house and I was being paid so little, I couldn't even afford to buy the house back if we had sold it. Now, my mind is Yvonne and I have talked over and over about the life that God has given to us. We are astounded that. It was such a weird thing. Hey, what do you think about us moving to Scotland to go do my studies? What a bizarro, weird idea that is. But for my wife to have such a wonderful pre-existing relationship to Almighty God where she was tight with God and would be willing to be silent before him and listen, God, how are you going to lead in my life through this bizarro, weirdo husband of mine? And by God's grace, I'm thankful that he has given me this pre-existing relationship to listen to him too. And to realize that all that was done, and we never had to pay an extra dime for the house that we were making payments on, because our good friends had found great renters who took care of the house while we were gone. And then he gave us that house back when we could never afford it on the salary that I got as a brand new teacher.
Now, through our life, God has not given to us in the ministry very many instructions that were really weird, off the beaten path, and so crazy. I'm thinking that couldn't be God. That's got to be that. It's got to be that bad burrito we had last night. But there was at least that one time where God told us to do something very strange. And on the basis of that strangeness, we learned to listen to God in silence as he gave to us an instruction that was so very weird. But we saw that when we obeyed even his weird apparent instructions, he gave us a foundation of faith to watch and depend upon for the rest of our life in ministry as we've served him. So has God given you something weird to do? Have you been hesitant because it's not really commonsensical? Well, is your relationship with God so tight that you listen to him well enough to know when you can put confidence in God's direction? That's our great lesson, guys. It's a very important one. When you think about all the people that you'll be influencing this week, because many eyes are watching you, they're going to be looking for that moment when you have done something that seemed like nobody else in this world thought was a smart thing to do. And it's not because you want to be weird or you want to be, be novel, but just you sense God's leading in one bizarre moment in your life. And that faith manifested tremendous results. And the lives of the people who are watching us are going to see that happen. It's going to impact their eternity. That's why we're here, not just to get smarter, but to live more faithfully to impact the lives of people so that our city here in Houston could be a light for Jesus Christ because of the light we share with the way we live our lives. Have a great table talk, guys. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.